This episode of After the Whistle contains profanity. Listener discretion advised. Please enjoy. Episode something, something, something. I'm going to check right now for um, just for uh, professional reasons. Episode 97. thank, Thank you, Craig. Thank you. We have Elliot joining us here in a few minutes. I just have one thing I want to get off my chest. Didn't see myself waking up to this this morning, but I'm going to, I'm just going to get this off my chest. Okay. Shoot. I, I don't even know the diplomatic way of going about saying it. So should I just wing it? Just go for it. I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, well, I'm not so, going to talk about so this with Elliot. I'm not going to bring this up with Elliot um, because this might be uh, one of his uh, compadres, one of his guys, one of his friends. And I don't want to insult or offend anybody, but, and I don't even know who asked the question. I've been told or kind of read who asked the question, but to ask a coach after a loss, like last night between Tampa Bay and Toronto, why you started your worst defenseman is the stupidest fucking question I've ever heard, and I am so goddamn sick of media members. Not all of them. They all get painted with a bad brush, and not all of them are the same, but a lot of them are alike. They're antagonists. They've never played the fucking game. Never played the game. And I know people are like, you can't say they never played the game. That doesn't mean they don't mean... No, I know lots of people that never... That can't even skate, that actually have intelligent thoughts and suggestions and opinions about the game of hockey, but they don't criticize pro athletes because they don't know what it's like to play hockey. They, they say, I can't tell you what it's like to skate, but I can give you my opinion on what I see. And that's different. But for someone to say that a, a player in the NHL who's been in the NHL for a long time, Justin Hall, we're talking about gets referred to as the worst defenseman on the team, whether he is or he isn't, as if Sheldon Keefe and the Toronto Maple Leafs don't have enough other things to worry about than listen to some dickhead ask a condescending question about uh, about a player and the start of their game. I hate it. I hate it. I'm tired of it. And I think for once, maybe it's not the NHL, but maybe we need to start to uh, get a better idea of who's asking these questions and how these people get media credentials. Because I think some of the questions come from arrogance. They're pompous. They come from like, it's, it's almost like uh, uh, tiny pecker syndrome. There. Did I get it out on time? <laughs> Well, I just want to start with good morning, good morning, <laughs> Andrew. Um, I clicked on to our Zoom link, um, and you were like, "Right, I got something off my chest right away," and you started the Zoom. No good morning, no how you doing, how's the weekend, Bob? Just right into it. You're an angry beaver this morning. Listen, I uh, I saw the same thing. And again, it is, you know, as a, as a, as a former professional athlete, um, I was put in many of those situations to answer or have to 
answer questions like this that right away, as soon as you hear them, um, your your anger level shoots up. Um, I will say that the Toronto Maple Leaf coach, Sheldon Keith, handled it very well. Very well. You know, he basically just looked at uh, the person who asked the question of why are you putting your worst defenseman on the ice at a certain time? And, uh, you know, the coach Keith says, well, who is my worst defenseman? And they said, uh, Jordan Hall is your worst defenseman. And Justin he just, Hall. Justin Hall. And he just very simply said, well, that's your opinion. And he just moved on to the next question. I think he deflated it exceptionally well. Or or does he feel like somebody else is his worst defenseman? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Right? No. But I think he handled it exceptionally well. They just came off a huge loss, um, a huge loss where they were were very flat and got rolled by, you know, I am so confused with these playoffs. I don't know if you're watching the same thing with every with every series. I'm I'm confused. I don't know who's the better team in Minnesota and in St. Louis because they're both beating the crap out of each other every you know every other game. And then all of a sudden you're sitting there going, you know what? I mean, nails going in the coffin tonight with Edmonton Oilers because they beating the crap out of LA. And then all of a sudden LA decides to win for nothing. And, uh, you know, um, quick is, is the greatest goaltender in the history of hockey. Um, trying to make saves would not, when he lost his glove, <laughs> where the, where did the Boston Bruins come from? They decided to show up in the series. <laughs> what is you know going what? I on? I don't get it. I just, I said it last <laughs> week when we were talking, what do you remember what I said about the Bruins? Uh, I, I said, it, you, you, I said, their time's up. Their time's up. You know, Bergeron's like 85 years old and still like scoring hat tricks and dominating and taking a stick to the eye. He half an inch closer. He got high stuck by Sebastian Ajo. We're talking a half an inch and he would have lost his eye. Goes to the locker room. He's bleeding all over, uh, you know, the ice like a stuck pig. All of a sudden, comes back and boom, shock of the team is just rolling. And I, I just don't get it. I'm like, I don't understand how Carolina is one of the most dominant teams all season long. They, they're exceptionally structured, and it's like a yo-yo. One game it's Boston, the next game it's Carolina. I just I, I don't I've grown to it. I've grown to learn something about this league. How good it is? The parody is ridiculous. Okay. Best it's ever been. And the regular season doesn't mean a goddamn thing. All you gotta do is get in. All you all, gotta do all is you get gotta in. do is get in. And you don't know what's agree. gonna happen. I I one hundred percent agree. You're li- don't get me started. Okay. <laughs> start, 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 start. It's freaking Monday, man. I am, I'm, I'm not going to go there. Okay. I'm just going to very calmly say, I'm going to do the, um, Sheldon Keith, uh, response. Can you fuck? Are you calling Keith? Me? Keith or Keith? Keith or Keith? Keith. 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 Okay. Okay. Keith. Yeah. What is happening with the Florida Panthers? This is the team that has won 62 games in the regular season. You've got this dinosaur goddamn team in Washington 
And I don't understand how you, like the last goddamn game, you're sitting there leaving a guy who scored literally an ungodly amount of goals in the power play. There's not a guy with, on, a, on they're killing a penalty. There's not a guy within 20 feet of Alex Ovechkin taking a one-timer. How is that even possible? How, how, is, how, is, how is Washington, how are the Washington Capitals even coming close to the Florida Panthers? I don't know. I, I, I honestly, I don't know. It's number one seed in the conference versus wild card two. And that's what I was saying when we were picking our teams, like who's going to win, who's going to win. I said, look, and it, I picked Florida because of loyalty. Okay. Mackenzie Weger, that's your cousin. And I want to go to the cup party. And I'm not saying it's over, but I did say, I'm uneasy about it's this. It's far from over. It's far I'm from over. I'm going to tell you right now. But I'm I uneasy about Toronto, it. I'm Maple uneasy Leafs about it. Roll. They're going to roll Tampa Bay. Toronto Maple Leafs are going to roll Tampa Bay after the first game. Then Tampa Bay comes back and spanks them. Absolutely spanks them in the second game. Third game goes to Tampa Bay. What are you thinking? I think I think Tampa Bay, just with their all their leadership. There's their no way they're going to lay an egg on home ice, they, right? Toronto spanks them around in Tampa Bay. I'm like, oh my god, this is this is this is Toronto's year. They're yeah. gonna do it. Yeah. Austin Matthews, Mitchie Marner, and the boys have their shit. And I want to the- see it. I want to see it. I know you picked Tampa, but I want to see it. And then what happened? Tampa Bay comes out and literally plays like they're gonna win the Stanley Cup this year. They're gonna win the Stanley Cup this year. Because. I'm not kidding you when I say this. I think the hardest team that they could be playing could be the Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round. Is it getting I, interesting? I don't even know what to say. Uh, the, the playoffs this year, how about Calgary Flames? Calgary Flames were supposed to beat Dallas three, you know, four straight. I mean, Calgary all year long has just been just pumping they're just so strong their top line and johnny goudreau and and lindholm and and kachuk are just absolutely on fire well johnny goudreau does he have a point johnny goudreau i don't even think johnny goudreau has a point that series has been ridiculously close in score which i which i'm shocked by every game has been it's because the defense on both sides are so strong there, it is so strong. The defense core on Dallas is is incredible. The defense core on on uh, Calgary is incredible. That's why I and think when you build a team, you gotta build from the back out. You gotta you gotta be like strong in the all back these, end. Everyone's like, oh yeah, you know McDavid and uh, you know Mc, uh, Eichel and all these other guys. Yeah, they had ne- they never had one defenseman. They were all building up front. Let's go score goals. Let's go score goals. That's what Toronto's problem has been all these years. Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander. We got our big four. He had nobody on defense. Like, no one that could actually defend on defense. A few guys that could defend. You can't, you don't need one guy. You need literally need one mobile puck move, like, off, not puck moving, offensive defenseman. I don't think you only look at tops. Carolina. Two tops. You don't need any more than that. You need guys that can shut down. You need, why do we need an offensive power play defenseman? Fucking throw a forward out there. I don't understand. Yes. Go look at, go look at um, Carolina. They have guys 
that are defensively responsible. They're strong defensively. They go pick up Anthony D'Angelo. The guy's running the power play like he's uh, the second coming of Paul Coffey. He's unbelievable. Yeah. But I am... I am... He and Marshawn had some some interesting uh, words yesterday. Yeah, obviously. The rat is, is at his best. First star in the last game. Just rat-like discussions on the ice, rat-like stuff in front of the net, two-handing goaltenders doing, you know, listen, I mean, he is, he is, you, I hate. If he got 15 to 20 points a year, he would have been murdered by now. He is unbelievable. The only thing that keeps him safe. Play with him. The only thing that keeps Brad, yes, of course, I take him on my team in a heartbeat. You kidding me? Like, it's like Patty Coletta. The entire league hated him. I loved him. You know, and I had to go on. I wouldn't say I had to fight a lot for him, but I mean, I had to be on high alert when he was on the ice. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. the only thing that keeps Brad Marchand from getting killed is the fact that he gets a lot of points. That's it. You think those antics would be tolerated by any other player in the league? Because he certainly isn't tough. No one's worried about fighting him. It's not like Ryan Reeves is doing that shit and everyone's afraid of him. This is Brad Marchand. There isn't one person in the league that's afraid of him. Well, actually, that's not true because he pounded somebody a few years ago pretty good. But I think you catch my drift. Yeah. I I, I, I was thinking, um, driving home, and I did not where I don't, I don't remember where I was, um, but I was driving home, and I was just thinking to myself how great the National Hockey League is right now. How incredibly skilled this league is right now it is a pleasure and a joy to watch the style of hockey that's being played right now now everybody knows and i've said this before that i i do like i don't like fighting but i think it continues to be part of the game and the fighting is down so much that I love where the game is. There is some physicality in the game. There are some solid body checks. Um, there is some roughness in the game still, but it, it's not about this this stupid this stupid style of roughness fighting. It's it's team toughness. You're you're having skilled players stick up for each other, and maybe you got these two, you know, you know middleweights or whatever, you know, throwing a couple muffins at each other and, and, and getting it off their chest and they're in the box and then the game continues. And I love where the game is. The game is so skilled. The game is so skilled right now. It's just, it's a pleasure to watch these young players. These young players are just absolutely incredible. There's 32 teams in the league. I was thinking there's 32 teams in the league. You would think that the game would start to become watered down with the more teams and the more players, you know, you would think that the product would be watered down. I'm going to tell you this. It is not watered down. You, you go look at the bottom teams, the bottom 10 teams in the league this year. Montreal Canadiens have Nick Suzuki and Kyle Caulfield and, 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 and some incredible some incredible up and coming players. You go, you just go look at all of the teams 
you know, whether it's New Jersey or Buffalo or, or whatever. I mean, even the bottom teams in the league are extremely, they're, they're not, they're not pushovers. And, uh, that's a tribute to how, how incredible this league is right now. It has never, ever, ever been better. Okay. And watching this playoff hockey right now is, is, is a, is a pure joy to watch. I've uh, I, I tweeted out from our show account. It's hard to believe, but the NHL playoffs are the best they've ever been. Because of you know what it is, everyone's like, oh, and some great responses too. You know, like a lot of people are saying they love it because it's fast, it's skilled, it's physical. There's high scoring games, and I agree. There are lots of goals, right? Like it's not like we're seeing these two one playoff games, one nothing. You know all that. Like we are seeing some high scores. And and it's it's I mean yeah some of it has to do with the scores but the talent level top to bottom from every team is absolutely through the roof. Yeah. Let's hang on here. Let's bring on uh, Elliot Friedman. All right, welcoming in to episode ninety-seven, Elliot Friedman. And hold on a second. Ninety-seven, I... nice episode, McDavid. Like that. It is. Well, it, there's technicality in there. We've had a couple part twos, so we didn't renumber them. We had a. We had the pilot, which we didn't number, and then we had a Reuben Brown episode back at the start of the year that we didn't number. So we might even be at 100 by now, Elliot, but yeah. number 97. So, nice job, Elliot, you, you, were, you were very quick to throw out your knowledge of 97. Give me another 97 in the league. Currently? Yeah. Is there one? <laughs> right, well, let's leave it to uh, the big dog here. I'm trying to think another 97. And while you're thinking, Elliot, I'm just going to go ahead and hit start on the 30-minute timer here. Oh, thank you very much. Woo, another 97. Ugh. I'm trying to think another NHL. I'm going to Google it. NHLers who No, you can't Google it. <laughs> Do you have one in They're, mind, Rip? Absolutely. Are you guys kidding me right now? What team? Well, this is why. Oh, wait is- a sec. It's ob- I, you know what? You know why? There's an obvious one. Of course. Kaprizov. There you go. I'm going to tell you right now, I know it's Monday, and you are not on the top of your game, Elliot. No, I It's a lot, Riv. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. What a start. I've had two coffees this morning already. Holy I feel unbelievable. Shit, right? I back. bet you, Riv, like your kids come home from school. Their report card has eight A's and a B, and you're like, why'd you get this B? No, they have nine A's and, and they have nine A pluses and one A and Craig, who was a gifty 50, his entire life through high school is like, why are you doing so poorly in that other grade? <laughs> no, we just had this conversation, Elliot. His kid is a 90 in math and an over 95 in everything else. And he literally says to the kid, what's going on? Why are you struggling in math? Oh my God! Well, first of all, Craig, congratulations. Is that sorry? Is that your son or daughter? Who's that? That's like, all of them. Oh, yeah. really? That's fantastic. I that's, didn't that's come different. from uh, didn't come from this uh, cat over here. <laughs> I remember. Is, I remember. Whoever his real father him. is must have been a really smart <laughs> oh, guy. Man. Yeah, yeah the mailman in Montreal back in uh, two thousand two is. Oh God. Anyway, yeah. Well. Um, the playoffs are, are just completely, uh, they're like yo-yos. I, I'm, I'm an emotional wreck. Um, just when you think one of these series is going to take off in a direction where one team's going to take it over, mm-hmm. I mean, it just, 
I mean, whether it's the Edmonton series against LA or it's the Minnesota against St. Louis, or it's, it just, you know, Toronto against uh, uh, Tampa Bay. Is this, is this been some of the best playoff hockey that you have watched in a long time? Um, I love it. I think it's been a lot of fun. Uh, you know, there's been a, the weird thing is there's, there's been a lot of blowout games, but if you look at all the series that are at four games, we're guaranteed six. We've got four, two, two series. There's, there's only one chance to sweep, um, you know, with Colorado, uh, Nashville, but the, the two, the four series that have played four games, we know we're all going six. The, the ones that are at three games, I wouldn't be surprised if almost all of them go to at least six. Um, so what I like is, is deeper series. I think that that's, you know, that's, that's good for the sport. I'll tell you this, guys. I was talking about this with Merrick last night. I'm trying to decide how I feel about all the penalties. Um, I'm not crazy about it. I'd be very concerned to hear how the players feel. Um, I I am really really curious about that. Um, Jory, like, are I'm you saying that. the refereeing in general has been piss poor? I no, because I don't. Th- <laughs> I I don't think Andrew, this is on the referees necessarily. I think that last year there was a competition committee meeting, and after the playoffs, there was a playoffs where McDavid got no calls against him. And I heard in particular guys like McDavid and Shifley were very vocal about call the rule book. So I think the referees are doing what has been asked of them. And I want, I'm curious to know if the players feel that this is what they want. Cause I think one of the subplots in the Toronto series is there's been games where Matthews has been taken completely out of the series because he doesn't kill penalties. And, and I don't think that's the only series like that. I think there's other series where good players who don't kill penalties can't get on the ice. And I'm just not sure that's what we want. I'm okay with lots of penalties mm-hmm. if they're actually penalties. And there have been examples throughout these playoffs where there are egregious things that aren't called, and then there are mm-hmm. soft things that are called. And it's the inconsistency uh, that I think gets me. I'm fine with lots of penalties because in a, every game is different, right? But I'm fine with lots of penalties. Just get the calls right. Like there was a call, like Wayne Gretzky was put on the spot last night when asked about a call and, and you know, and he doesn't want to go and he doesn't want to ruffle any feathers because when Wayne Gretzky speaks, everybody listens like, Oh, Wayne Gretzky said that the officiating has been, you know, whatever. So, you know, like, you know, he gave the token. Ah, the refs have you know been good so far throughout the playoffs. They, you know, the old I have it. They have a tough job type thing. But there was a, I think it was a, a, a tripping call where the guy slashed the guy in the wrist and he fell, and they got a tripping call on it. And I, you know, it's like that's not a tripping call. Maybe it's a slashing call, but get the calls right, get the penalties right. There was the play last night uh, where the guy, the defenseman, slid and took out Sorelli in the Leaf game. And Sorelli almost broke his neck. And again, like he's, you know, he's sliding, sure, but takes his feet out. That's a trip. Like that's a trip. Like, so call everything or don't call anything. That's just the way I see it. 
Yeah, I, um, but I think they're calling a lot. I, I really do. I, um, I just, I'm just curious. Like I said, I don't think that this is on the refs. I think this is what they've been told to do. I just wonder if the players like it. Um, if I was a player who didn't kill penalties, it would make me crazy. Can I ask um, you a question, Elliot, on, yeah. on this note? And, and again, so who tells the refs? Is it the league? Is the like, or is it is it the the is it Stephen Walcom who runs the refs, and is he getting it from the league? Because for me, I have an issue with the refs being uh, directly under the league. I almost feel like they should be independent. Uh, I'm sorry, Barry Trotz just got fired. What? Yeah, the Islanders fired Barry Trotz. Who's going behind the bench, Lou? Uh, I don't, I don't know about that. It's too soon to really say. Wow. What, uh, what kind of contract, um, did Barry Trotz have there? Was he, did he have one more year? One more year. And I'll, and I'll tell you this. I, I think Winnipeg's going to be all over him, all over Trotz. That's, that's, that's the team I think. And now I'm not saying they're going to get him, but I think they're going to be all over. Well, what, what, what other, what other options right now? Would would Barry Trotz have? He, Barry Trotz have a lot of options, a lot. Like if you take a look at him, he brings structure. Um, like look, like every team he's coached, like Nashville, he built into one of the best organizations in the NHL. Um, he won a Stanley Cup in Washington, and look what he did with the Islanders. Let me ask you this: Are the Leafs locked on Keith if they go out in the first round? With a guy like like Trotz, isn't that a, the type of job that Trotz would want? Uh, he, he, anybody who's going to be interested in him. Anybody. What about Florida? Uh, well, we'll see. It's still, you know, I, I think the incumbent keeps the job. I mean, they're in trouble in the series, but if they get out of this, I got to think Brunette's going to be the guy. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think if the Leafs go down in the first round, and I want them to win, I pick them to win. But if the Leafs go down in the first round, are there going to be changes there? You think, Elliot? Yeah. Dubis? Will it be Dubis and Keith or Keith or? I, I I'm curious. Or, see, or is it going to be player personnel? I think it could. I, I, you know, to me, the thing that bothered me about like, like they've put up a good fight. Like this is a good series, and they could still win it. But you know what bothered me about last night, guys, is that so. In, since 2017, when this group first made the playoffs, they've had nine games where they've led in a series and they've lost eight of them. Like they only have one victory in a series where, when they were winning the series. And that was last year when they were up 2-1 on Montreal. They wanted to go up 3-1. That's like, like last night, they had a chance to get a stranglehold on the series. And they, they were awful. And that's something. And who is that on? Like to me, I probably have to put that one on the players. Like, like, and and, and, and where what, where are you pointing the finger? Like, because well, what, what I wonder, Craig, is is that a mental block of some kind? Like, do you have? Does your team freeze up? Like, you know, I was talking about this in the, our podcast this morning with Merrick. I remember doing an interview once with with Larry Brown, the the Hall of Fame basketball coach, and he talked about the fear of winning. Like one of his biggest wins was, you know, they won, uh, he won a national championship as the head coach of Kansas in 1988. 
And he talked about like one of the things he was worried about his team going into that game, which he thought was a really good team was he was worried. Like they he said, it was, it's a tough thing to explain, but he would always tell them, don't be afraid of winning. Like you'd be in that big game with a chance to win it all. And there would almost be a fear that would creep up into you of what it would take, or um, can I really do this? And, and things like that. And I look at Toronto and I kind of wonder if that's what we're dealing with here. Like, like their record when they're losing in series is actually pretty good. Their record when they're tied in series is not bad, except for the game sevens, obviously. Um, but I, which is also a game where you can win a series, but their record when they're ahead in the series is absolutely awful. And to me, that has to be a mental thing. There's no, like, there's no other explanation for it. Yeah. And, and he, listen, I mean, you go through trials and tribulations throughout your your professional career. You lose, you have setbacks, and that should be building you stronger for, for the future. And I'm looking at, again, I'm looking at a very young Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner. When they were younger a couple of years ago, they, they, had, they were losing because they didn't have the experience. They didn't have the maturity to take a hold of the team to push this team forward. Well, on the other side in Tampa Bay, there is a tremendous amount of leadership, a tremendous amount of players that have been in a situation, whether they're up in a series or down in the series. So they're, they're going to channel it the same way. I just, I look at, I look at Toronto and I, I don't think they have enough you know, n- not heart because it's not the it's not the right word. They just don't have enough experience to get over and and beat Tampa Bay. I just I, I that's what my feeling is. Like if you take Austin, they Matthews can't off afford team, to fill out the roster properly. They can't. They can't afford to to fill out the roster properly. They've got forty million tied up around uh, amongst four players up front, and that creates an issue when you want to buy depth. Like, in order to win, and I, you look, see it in other teams, you have to buy depth. You have to go and pay players. The Rangers did it. Like, you know, you go and overpay some guys sometimes. Leafs can't do that. So that's where I think they get screwed. You can't well, go that's and the thing. buy your experience. When you, lock, when you talk about if Toronto Maple Leafs do not move forward, okay, and they lose out again in the first round, who do you start to move? Like, isn't there one guy that is kind of right now someone that, that is kind of glaring. You're not moving Mitch Marner. You're not moving Austin Matthews. I mean, John Tavares is making a tremendous amount of money. And I, I, I think that he would be the guy that I would be looking at just because Well, Tavares, he, he's got a no move clause. Like that's going to be, that's going to be very, very difficult. See, to me, like, I don't think depth is the problem this year. I think some of their best players have been their depth players. I think McKay has been really good. Yes. Um, I think I think Engvall has been really good. And really good. you know, Dubas Dubas had options to um, had options this year to uh, move those guys. Teams were coming after them, saying you'll never be able to keep them. Why don't you trade them? And Dubas said, No, I I, I want to keep them because. I think I need them. I think they can help me win this year. You know, to me, uh, and I, I like the moves he made with his defense. He made his defense tougher with Labushkin and Giordano. And, you know, like, 
again, I think they've been good enough to win this series. I, I, I really do. They, they're taking on the two-time Stanley Cup champions, and they're twice they've led in the series. And you're and you're not going to sweep those guys. You have to predict it's going to be a six seven game series. Um, but but when I mean, the pressure mounts, when the pressures mounts, they they have trouble. Yeah. Um, well, guys, hold on one second. Uh, Lamarus having a presser in five in five minutes. I'm just gonna I'm gonna have to go on to that presser. That's and- fine. And then we can re- we can reconvene after it's done if you guys want. No, who said who said we want to? We'll we'll bang out something. <laughs> it's totally up to you guys. No, we'll bang out something quickly here in five minutes. Lindy Ruff's future in New Jersey. I don't know. To be honest, it sounds to me like they want to keep him. Um, initially, there were rumblings that he wouldn't be back next year. I really thought that Jack Hughes coming out in in support of him was was huge for rough. I, I think that like, Jack Hughes uh, has a lot of say there, a lot of juice there. I thought that really helped him. Um, uh, I'm curious to see where this is going to go, but I really believe that um, I, I really believe that they were thinking about making a change. And now it sounds like he might, I mean, it could come down to who else is available. But I really like Lindy as a person. I've always loved dealing with him, so I, I would be very happy to see him keep his job. Yeah, well, things must have changed, eh, Riv? If young guys are, are vouching for Lindy, if young guys are vouching for Lindy, he, they, he must have turned a new leaf. Okay, Elliot, do you get to vote on all the awards? Not all of them. I don't vote on the Vesna. Okay. Um, but I vote on the, the, five, the other five big ones, the Hart, Norris, Calder, Selkie, and Bing. Will you tell us who you voted for? Because these not are coming. These are coming yet. out. Not, uh, not they. They ask that you just not do it until after the winners are announced, and then all the votes go public. Okay. So, would you rather we not go through? Uh, no, rap- no, no, no. Let, let, we can do it. Like, who do I you think? Okay. So Monday, they're, today they're going to announce the James Norris candidates. Yes. Who Who do you expect to be on there? Who do you expect to win? The Norris. Remember, Riff, we only have five minutes with them. Three well, I, I would say this. I think that Makar and Yossi were on every ballot. And then it came down to, did you have Hedman third? Did you have McAvoy third? You know, who did you have third? But I think Makar and Yossi would be on every ballot. Calder Memorial. Calder, I, like I think si- it sounded to me like Cider um, was, was, was the favorite for a lot of people, um, including me. I really like Cider. I think after that, there was a rotation of guys. There was Zegris, there was Bunting, there was Tanner Janot from Nashville, and, Genoa, there, yeah. and there was Lucas Raymond. I think I think those four were kind of the ne- and everybody's next group. And Bunting's age doesn't throw anybody off. Well, the thing is, as far as I'm concerned, he's eligible. So if you're eligible, you should be considered. Now, if you want to say that somebody at 20 is more impressive than somebody at 25. I can live with that argument, but I don't think you should refuse to vote for bunting. The criteria says he's eligible and I don't think he should be punished for that. Okay. Sergey Makarov won as a 30 year old. Yeah. Well, uh, I changed it then. Yeah, I know. Hart Memorial. <laughs> uh, like I, I, I thought this one was really hard. I had eight guys I wanted to put on my ballot and, and those eight guys were, in no particular order, Matthews, McDavid, Yossi, 
Crosby, Goudreau, Kaprizov, Shesterkin, and Huberto, I think, are the eight. So, like, at the end, my top three, and I'm not going to tell you what the order was, was Yossi, Matthews, and McDavid. Um, but it was tough knocking the other five down to two. So your order was Matthews, Yossi, McDavid. That was your, that was your order. No, I'm just joking. We, we can't. <laughs> what, what was the other award that you said you get to vote on? The Selkie and the Lady Bing. Okay. This, so- is, this is an interesting one because this is not one that uh, it's easily – usually you have three sulky guys that you're just like, oh, these are no-brainers. This year is a little bit different, I think. Well, I, I really thought it was tough to beat. I really thought I, I really thought it was tough this year to beat Bergeron. But Lindholm was another guy I thought really highly of. Okay. All right. And the last one was the Lady Bing, you said? Yeah. That's who's, always a tough one for me. Hold on who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Elliot's just uh, Austin Matthews, Mitchie Marner, and I have Kyle Connor. Thank you. That was your three. Was my guy. Kyle Kyle Connor Connor? had four penalty minutes last year. He had forty-seven goals and ninety-three points. No brainer. Interesting. All right. Well, well, we're cutting it short here today because uh, you got your press conference with. the Islanders and trots. I almost feel like you texted Lou and said, Hey Lou, it, Lou do it between nine 30 and 10 so that uh, I can jump do off. You think early. that that guy would listen to anything I have to say? I he think he might listen to you, Elliot. You know what? Not a chance. I think he, you have a good relationship with Lou, don't you? I do, but that doesn't mean he's going to listen to anything I say. Yeah. No, I, I love Lou. In fact, you know what? I'll tell you when I became a, a leaf fan and that was when the draft was here in Toronto and I'm walking through the Adams Mark hotel and I can't, it might be something else now. And there's Lou and, and uh, Brendan Shanahan standing outside their boardroom. And I just, you know, I waited for Lou to finish his conversation. I went over and said, hi. And the two of them brought me in the conference room. We sat there, had a coffee and talked for about half an hour. It was, it was absolutely fabulous. And that was the year they were uh, drafting Matthews. So it was, a, it was a nice little turning moment. I'm a big Shanahan fan, eh? So, mm. you know, like I'm, I, as a player, as a person, I was with him last training camp in Jersey. I just, I think the world of that guy, I think he's cool as shit. So I love, I love dealing with him over the years. Yeah. I love dealing with him over the years. No question. What's that? Sorry. I've loved dealing with him over the years. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. Well, Elliot, we'll let you go, man. Cause we know uh, I'm sorry guys, but this is a big, oh, no worries. No don't, worries. Yeah. don't apologize. It's nice to see how you operate live on the scene. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm, absolutely you gonna ask any questions i probably will like what give us one like like why that's a great question <laughs> it's, it's actually it's, you know because they were weren't they hampered with covid all year and they, they had covid and they had the big road trip at the beginning of the season too right oh man well you know what lou fired their coach when they were first oh, in the league yeah. going into the stanley cup finals and they oh, won the yeah. championship that year did they oh, not yeah, yeah. yes so, I mean, he is not afraid to shake shit up. Elliot, you're no, the man. He's not. Appreciate your time, bud. All right, buddy. Take care. Yeah, we'll see you. All right. Thank you to Elliot, who had to go quickly. Some big news out of Long Island with Barry Trotz getting fired. Shocked by that. Shocking news. Shocking news. Like, how shocked are you? Like, I mean, Barry, Barry Trotz is, is kind of like an iconic coach in the national hockey league one of the most winning winning coaches in in the league um and i'm really surprised 
that it fell apart that quickly. Here's what I've come to learn. And it's not like I had this long standing time under Lou Lamorello in New Jersey or um, anything like that. But what you hear from guys like Gianta, uh, what you hear from guys that I played with for one year in New Jersey, just about how Lou operates and some of the stories. There is a method to his madness. I mean, sometimes it won't seem like it. Like I think there was a year where they he fired the coach and he went behind the bench, you know, like it's just, yeah. it's how he, he just, he goes off of gut instinct sometimes. And I don't know. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Maybe it was a difference of opinion between, you know, Lou and Barry Trotz. I don't know, but it'll be very interesting to hear what comes out of this press conference today. And, and to be honest with you, if the Leafs don't get past the first round, I've, I've said it before. I don't know how convinced I am that Sheldon Keefe is going to be the coach for the Leafs for a long time. And I'm going to tell you, Brendan Shanahan if you remember back when when he first started building the team, where did he build the team first? Management. Management. <laughs> Who, and he brought in Did I get Lou. that right? You got it right. He brought in Lou. He brought in Babcock. They brought in um, – they had Jacques Lemaire there. They had – I think it was Mark Hunter. Like, they had so many people inside that organization that were – you know, and they obviously – Shanahan's a champion as well. So they brought in all these masterminds. And I just think that if the Leafs don't get past the first round, Barry Trotz will be the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs because he's not going to some like some startup team. He's going to take over a yeah, real team. Yeah, but you're also looking at Sheldon Keith has done nothing wrong as far as I'm concerned. This is just my opinion, and I'm sure that I could have an absolute epic battle over whether he's doing the right thing or not. Sheldon Keith coached the Toronto Maple Leafs to becoming the fourth best record in the National Hockey League. They ended with 54 wins and 115 points this year. They played absolutely fantastic. Now, yes, he does have an elite high-end core with Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews, um, but High, the makeup of the team is not necessarily. I I think, Sheldon Keith's. I, I I think this has to do with the with Dubis, and that's his vision. Keith is just coaching the team, and I think he's done an exceptional job of coaching a very, very good hockey team to an incredible, incredible record, and just like the year before. But they're also playing the, the two-time, I'm just saying this year in general, they're playing the two-time Stanley Cup champion that had 110 points and 51 wins. So, absolute rock star team in itself. So, you know, I, I don't know why we would be pointing the finger at Sheldon Keefe. He, he, is, he has been given the product that he, he's had, and he's, he's done a fantastic job with it. Now, I think it has to be, you have to tinker with the lineup. It is clearly not working. If they lose out, and I'm not saying that it's 2-2, it could go either way. But if Toronto Maple Leafs lose, I don't think this should be on Sheldon Keith. This should be on the roster. 
There Dude, needs Brock, to be Keith, changes to the Dubis roster. Goes, Keith goes, and you just kind of hit the reset button on all of it. You're not going to leave it up to Dubas to fix the mistakes that he made. You're not going to leave it up to Dubas to have to try to trade one of the big four. We know that's going to be a B. Nylander. The, the, if they don't get past the first round, Kyle Dubas will not be given the opportunity to fix what's been going on here. And I, I'm not even going to say that it's a problem because they finished second in their division. And they're a really good team, but you got to figure out how to get over that hump. And if they don't get over the hump this year, whether it's Tampa Bay or Boston or whoever they play in the first round, then it's time to move on. He's been there a long time. I just don't think that the resources have been put in and spread out properly. And you know what? Maybe it's not the, the coach's fault, but. I don't think it's the coach's fault. The okay. year before, you're talking you're talking a team that finished the fourth best record in the National Hockey League with 115 points. Last year, okay, in the shortened season, they were sixth best record in the National Hockey League. This team has been a very good hockey team. They have they have the ingredients to be to be a very dangerous hockey team. That being said, it's also extremely hard to win games in this league. Okay, the parity in the league, like we said, is 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 off the chart. And if you were to take, if you were to look at Tampa Bay right now, okay, and all of the players that they have on their team with their goaltending, which is arguably the best goaltender in the National Hockey League in Vasilevsky, you have arguably the best all-around defenseman in the National Hockey League in Victor Hedman, with a whole bunch of awesome defensemen that back him up and Sergachev and McDonough and and uh, Cernak and, you know, the offense on Tampa Bay is world-class with Kucherov and, and point and, and Stamkos. And it just goes on and on and on. Like Tampa Bay is a monster team. There's no shame in losing to the Tampa Bay lightning in the first round. So it's just like, I, I, I think that they just need to not panic and then you just start, you have to find the proper ingredients. Right now, they have three players that are making $11 million. Mitch Marner makes, you know, 10.9 something, something. He's an $11 million player. They, they have a lot of money tied up in three guys. William Nylander is a world class hockey player, but is he the guy? Is he a guy? At seven million dollar cap hit, is he the guy that you need to win in the playoffs? Because during the during the season, William Nylander is 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 a world class hockey player. Like we've watched him time in, time out, play at a super crazy high end, you know, point producing pace all season long. You know, 34 goals and 80 points. He's a point, he's a point of game player in the National Hockey League. But my question is, is he the right fit for the hockey team? Is he the right fit for the hockey team? Or do you need a different mentality? A, a, a player that is that on is on the uh, Leafs roster right now. Would you rather have a seven million dollar Nylander or three? $2.3 million players. And you know what you get in a $2.3 million. Yeah, I, I would I would like I would like William Nylander to be moved. Okay. This is just my opinion. He's world class, but I would like him to be moved 
for a different style of hockey player. And I'm going to, I'm going to throw this out there and I don't want to throw it out there just in case somebody in the, you know, the brainchild organization of Toronto decides that this is the right move, but a guy like Travis connect me from, from, from the Philadelphia flyers, he makes five and a half million dollars. Okay. The guy is an angry, he's an angry beaver, man. He is out there finishing checks. He's nasty. He's physical. He still plays a different style of game. Uh, Alex Nylander produces a ton of points. He's a point of game guy. Scored 34 goals this year. Okay. Had, a, had an incredible year. But Travis Konechny, on a very, very poor team, very poor team this year, you know, had, had, an, had a bit of an offseason. Okay, they they struggled tremendously um, in Philadelphia. All of them did, but he is a different style of of right winger. He's a, he's definitely more aggressive. He he plays the game with more tenaciousness and bite and anger. He's more of a playoff guy. He still scores goals because, and you know, in his you know six years, I think six years he's been in the league. He scored eleven in his first year. Then he went 24, 24, 24, 11, and sixteen. Okay, he's a good hockey player. He's a really good hockey player. And I'm just I'm trying to think what the Toronto Maple Leafs need. They need guys that can produce offensively, but they need guys Does that can play with more jam. Does the fact that he has one jam. goal, seven assists, and 22 playoff games concern you? Or no, because those were a few years ago. Those are, those are a few years ago, and you got to understand the team that he was on. I mean, Travis Konechny playing on the Toronto Maple Leafs, I think, would, would have great success. You know, Travis Konechny in his last playoff um, – had seven seven points in sixteen games, uh, and I'm just I'm using him as an example. There's lots and lots of other players in the league that that Toronto should be looking at. But what I'm trying to say is, Alex Nylander is a guy. You're not trading Mitch Marner or Austin Matthews, and you can't you can't really trade um, John Tavares. And his eleven million dollars because he has a no movement clause, and he's just—it's going to be very difficult to move him. So the guy that you need to move is a guy that produces a lot offensively for you. But the question is, can you add a player in a certain style, someone that still produces points, maybe not to the level of Alex Nylander or William Nylander? What am I talking about, Alex Nylander? Jeez. Doesn't matter, Nylander. Yeah, Nylander. Nylander. But they get a different style. They yeah. just get a guy with more jam, um, more ability to take and elevate his game when things get more physical because the playoffs are completely different than playing in the regular season. And and we've seen that in these, these playoffs and every playoffs that we've watched for the last 30 years, 40 years. Um, it's a different style of game. And I don't think the game suits William Nylander. That's just my opinion. He's a world-class hockey player, but I think that Toronto Maple Leafs need a different type of player. There's my rant. 
All right, no, hey, it's it's fine. It's fine. A lot of leaf talk on here, but you know what? That's they're the team that has the biggest spotlight on them in this entire playoffs. I know Colorado's a dominant team. I know there's some other great teams and stuff, but the Leafs have a 60 goal guy and 11 million dollar players and, you know, they're the Leafs. So, you know, they have the most pressure. It's just simple as that. And just last thing I'll say to end this, uh, thank you. It's amazing that you continue to talk about this 60 goal guy in 37 games, 60 goals, 106 points. Great. But no one ever talks about Mitch Marner. It's it's mind boggling. The guy scored 35 goals had 97 points this year in 72 games. He had 10 more games. The guy is an absolute rock star. He is worth every single penny. So is Austin Matthews. Now they need to tinker with this roster moving forward. They are not far off. They are not. They have, they have, they have a lot of great, great players on this team. And they, in, during the regular season, the last number of years, they've played exceptionally well. But they need to find the right ingredients, the right players to move this team forward in, in, the, uh, in the playoffs. And, and you know what? I'm, I'm talking like they're done and they're not done. I could see Toronto Maple Leafs spanking Tampa Bay in the next two games. I can see that because that's how good they are. That's how strong they are. They just need to get over that hump. And I don't think there should be major panic in Toronto because they did lose out in the first round again. They just need to stay the course and tinker with that roster. Well, I'm squirming with in Manhattan. I'm squirming with the Rangers. I don't like that Pittsburgh's up two to one. This is not the way I predicted things to happen. All right, I'm rooting big time for Drury and the moves that he made because if they do well with the moves that they made in the offseason, then our theories are correct, Craig. So, you know, it's like that's why we need the Rangers to do well because then it looks like that's how you build a team. Yeah, but you also have uh, Goudreau, who is one of their major signings. He's out. He's been out. Right. With uh, right. he he's out until next year probably. But uh, you know, listen. I mean, we're talking about we're talking about these first round matchups, and you have the New York Rangers that have an excellent excellent team, right from the goaltending to the defense to the 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 forward line. But you look across, and you have to deal with. You know, Sidney Crosby, who's won three Stanley Cups and, 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 oh, you know, listen, they're only a one-line team. No, they're not because freaking Malkin's there. And Malkin is a monster. And then all of a sudden, well, you know, they can't win with just two lines. Well, they're not winning with two lines because they have Jeff Carter, who's a two-time Stanley Cup champion. All down the middle. They have, they have incredible, incredible group that has been built to win in the playoffs and, and they're, and they're being run. They're being guided by some of the best playoff guys. in in the last, you know, 10, 15 years with, uh, with Crosby and Malkin and, and Chris Letang. So what a team. I mean, so, what a Elliot, team. Elliot just tweeted. He's obviously uh, on the uh, Lou Lamorella press conference. He goes, I believe this group of players needs a new voice, although would rather not get into any of the reasons goes out of his way to praise trots as a person. So it'll be very, very interesting to see what happens in Long Island. I'm sure there are, you know, sure there aren't any shortages of people that'll take that job. Lou's got a plan. Anyway, circling back to the start of our show, if you're a media member, um, 
whether you can skate or not, get your head out of your ass. Ask better questions. Okay? Such bullshit. What are you showing me there? Well, you know, we're we're it's interesting. This uh I'm on Twitter in this after the whistle show who sends out these clips all the time. Love that show. Is by the is way. showing uh who should the Leafs trade in the offseason. And it basically shows a Toronto Maple Leaf player skating down the ice. The puck goes into the corner where he could engage physically onto the puck and win a, a physical puck battle. And this player from Toronto looks up to the side, slams on the emergency brake, slams on the brakes, and allows the Tampa Bay defenseman go in, pick up the puck, and walk out of the corner un- you, untouched. And I'm just like, the- I can't believe that you just sent that out an hour ago. Yeah, I sent that out. Why? Do you disagree with it? It is 1,000%. This guy is an absolute world-class rock star of a hockey player, skill-wise and all, with his 34 goals and his 80 points this year. He is not going to win you games in, in the playoffs. Someone said, you know what one of the responses was? By the way, I didn't send that out. Our guy that runs our Twitter does. But okay. so someone responded to that, and they said, it's 5 nothing. I have no problem with Nylander not engaging here. It's 5 nothing. He's a skilled guy, whatever. Game's already over. And I think to myself, I'm like, oh, my God. There is nothing more telling. Is it telling? I don't know if it's telling or I guess telling would be a good word of not wanting to quit or being a, or accepting of the loss than going and having a guy like Nylander try to outmuscle and outbattle a Cernak for the puck right there at 5 nothing. Like, what does that even mean? Like it's five nothing. Who cares? What the fuck does that even mean? Can you tell me what that means? I'm confused because I'm the guy that would have had to go out and fight to try to change the momentum. You know what I mean? So it's like I'm just confused as to 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 the mentality. Well, of- I did have a response to that guy. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know when what this it- guy says it's five nothing. It's not a big deal that you don't engage into a a puck battle. I, it, it to me, it's mind boggling. <laughs> you said with that attitude, you probably haven't won anything. <laughs> Am I wrong? Am I uh, wrong for saying that? I, I well, I'm mean, I wrong for saying with that attitude. Listen, the guy says it's five nothing, it's not a big deal. And my reply to this guy is if that's your attitude. I'm sure you never won anything because I'm going to tell you right now, when you're down five, nothing, I don't care if you're down five, nothing. That's when you make it a nightmare. That's when you make it. You're basically setting the stage for the next game. Everything games under players know that, that maybe games are lost, but they're going to do things in the game that is going to set the tone for the next game. I'm not sure if, uh, you know, some coach potatoes at home realize that that's how things are, are, are played. But with some mentality, guys like William Nylander, <laughs> it is, is literally one of the most embarrassing clips I've seen in a while, and it basically depicts his, his, his playoff hockey. 
Yeah. Not talking about his skills, not talking about his skating or his shot. I'm talking about what it takes to win, what it takes to be a winner. It's very difficult. It's very, very easy to lose. Very easy to lose. It's extremely difficult to win. On that note, today's a win. So we'll chalk that up as a victory. Good stuff. Thanks, Elliot. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you tomorrow with Glenn Healy, legendary Glenn Healy. He is the head of the NHLPA alum or the NHLPA, the NHL alumni. And uh, he was very involved with the PA when we were there. He got yeah. into TV. Uh, just a, an unbelievable goalie in the league, has a ton of stories. And I really look forward to having Glenn on. He's always- you know what I look forward to with, with, with Glenn? I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it um, because Glenn, behind the scenes, um, there is a lot of players, okay, a lot of former NHL hockey players, whether they were in the league for one year or, or 15, 20 years, um, struggle struggle immensely um, with after life in the game. You know, we have been robotic. Most of us were so robotic for so, so long in the game that we didn't understand reality, didn't understand how to, to, to live another life. There's a lot of guys in this league um, that played that really struggle, okay? Struggling with drugs, struggling with alcoholism, struggling with depression, um, and, and, uh, body pain, body pain, finances, every finance, everything, Lots. a lot of, a lot of issues that, uh, that Mr. Healy is, is, is one of those guys that, uh, he's there and, and trying to help, trying to help these guys. So hopefully he can kind of tell us a little bit about, uh, some behind the scenes things that he's, he's seeing. And, um, you know, obviously, uh, hopefully these guys are, are, are getting the help needed. You know, yeah, I, I, I know that uh, he has been dealing with some players as uh, he and I had a conversation last year, just casually called him about an interview type thing. And, uh, you know, I was like, hey, how's everything going? And he, you know, obviously his professionalism wouldn't allow him to, to name names as you would want in a, a trusting uh, person in that position to not do that. But just said, he said, Andrew, I, I just I can't believe with can't believe what I'm dealing with. Like, uh, you know, there are so many guys struggling right now. He's like, you know, I'm trying to find help for all of them. And, and some of the stories are, they're horrendous. You know, they're, I mean, there are stories already out there. Um, you know, Joe Murphy, Matt Johnson, and, you know, two totally different players on opposite ends of the spectrum of, of what they were. You have one who's an enforcer who's living homeless on a beach in California. And you have another one who is a first overall pick who's, you know, I, I, I think, the first overall pick in 84, later, maybe. I think later it was. than that. Yeah, later than that, yeah. but up there, like 88, 89 yeah. or something okay. like that. But, uh, and Joe Murphy and, and, you know, I think he's homeless just living on the street and not looking yeah. for help, you know? So maybe he'll be able to fill us in on those stories more and, and hopefully there's been improvement, you know, with those guys. But... Yeah. It's just scary. You know what, man? I, I gotta tell you, it is scary because, like, I remember when I finished hockey, or, or actually, I should I should roll back. I can remember like when I was um, maybe one or two years from finishing, knowing knowing deep down inside in my heart that my game was coming to an end. 
my body physically and mentally were just not able to do what's needed to be able to play and to prepare and train at the level that you need to, to be able to play there and have success. And I knew that it, things were winding down and it's a scary, scary, scary feeling because listen, you're most of us, like I was, I was very, very lucky. I retired at, you know, the age of 37. Okay. But there's a lot of guys that re- are retiring, you know, in their late twenties, early thirties, and they have a very, very, very long life to live. And I hate the argument of, ah, oh, yeah, well, you got to focus on your education and you got to, and I, I, I respect the argument, but I, I just, I'm like, until you're, until somebody actually knows what it's, what it feels like to have a shitload of talent and have a path almost not laid out for you with certainty, but chance and opportunity. I'd like to know how many people would, would choose one path over the other. I mean, I, I really would. Because it's, it's so hard. It's so hard when you're young. And I wasn't a phenom at a young age. So, you know, I had to, I had to gradually improve every year. I was a good hockey player, but I had to, there are always things you had to work on, get better at, change your game this way. You're not going to be that guy anymore. You're not doing that. Like, like, so there are things that, that, you know, like you have to do along the way. But when somebody at the age of 15 or 16 says, hey, you're going to be an NHL hockey player, you're going to play pro, or your talent, your potential is through the roof. I mean, you can't criticize someone for either not going to school or even going to school. I mean, and and a lot of these guys retire. They don't have education. Okay, that's that's one problem. But they're sheltered. Like your life is so sheltered. You live in a bubble that you, once you're free and, and away from the game, the world is completely different. It's amazing how how yeah. how much different the world gets when you're not sheltered by the by the 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 bubble of the league or just being an athlete or and you know the world is a the world is a cruel place. It's a very very cruel place and. You know, like athletes, when they're fit, when they're athletes, they got the world by the tail. They have all the opportunities, all the chances, all the, all the glitz and glamour and, and you get all that. But when it's over and, and it's, it's no one else's fault, but when it's over, you're just kind of, you know, unless you get back into the game right away, like you're just kind of like, you're, you're, you're set free. I mean, it's, it's very, it's a. I can't explain it because I lived it. So I don't know what it's like to be a, a, an everyday person where you're, you know, you get up, you go to school, you know, you, you go to your graduation, then you seek a job, you get a summer job. Maybe you go plant trees and all my buddies planted trees out in Vancouver for the summer and made a shit ton of money and then would go back to school. Like, like my, my brother did that. Do you know what I would do? I wouldn't change anything in my life because of my son and the path that, you know, I took that led me to my son. Exclude that for a second, but I would change it all, all of it to go and just be a normal fucking guy at the age of 18 being like, Hey, I'm going out to BC and I'm going to party. I'm going to live in a fucking VW uh, party bus and sleep in the back of my van and get up and go plant trees for the summer. And like, I, I would, I would love to be that guy. I would love to be that person that got to live that life. Like I've had people say, Oh my God, you're so lucky. You got to play in the NHL. I'm like, well, what did, what did you do when you were 18, 19, 20, 
21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, before real life set in. They're like, oh, I did this, I did this, I did this. I went to college, yeah. you know, was in a fraternity or whatever. Well, fraternities are different. They pay, to, they pay for their friends. But like, you know, like, uh, like you just go and live a normal college kid's life. I mean, I would, I would do anything for that kind yeah. of normalcy. I really well, you say that now. Okay, you say that. Yeah, now. Of course, you, hindsight's you had always a very su- You had a very successful career, whether you liked it or not. Uh, this is nothing. You played to in do the with, National Hockey League understand for seven years, Pete. This has nothing to do with about my role in the game or my career or what I was or wasn't or, or any beefs I have with the game. It just has to do with it's like once you're relieved of the tunnel vision path that you're on. And you get to like kind of look around and you're like, holy shit, I missed a lot. I got to do a lot, travel the world, ate in the best restaurants, flew around the country on a charter. Would you plane say that you missed your athletes. childhood? Did I miss like my parts, child- of, parts of your childhood? Because you, you moved away. Like I, I remember like graduating. I'm like, I don't even know where my diploma is when I graduated because I didn't graduate because I wasn't going to a ceremony at loyalist collegiate vocational institute it was like a goddamn jail um where i went to high school in kingston and i'm not going to you know to do you know how many do you know many high schools i went to i went to about eight different high schools minimum eight i transferred 11 or 12 times in well grade nine i went to ridley grade 10 i went to school in in Bolton, Ontario, at Humberview, as I was, you know, living there, playing in the MTHL. Started in the in the uh, tier two league there as a fifteen year old. Then I went and played Bantam in the in the GTHL. Now, then I went to Georgetown. Then I transferred back to West Park in St. Catharines at the end of that season. Then I went to Oshawa, went to school in Whitby. Then I transferred back to a different school in St. Catharines because they could. They could balance my course load from what I had in Whitby. Then I went back to Whitby. Then I came back to a different school in St. Catharines. Then I went to Kitchener and then I transferred back again. How fucking crazy is that? Yeah. Like you want to talk about like no structure. (laughs) Like it's, it's, I mean, it's just, Fuck, like, I mean, say what you want about hockey and stuff, but I mean, like, I was bouncing around schools like it was, like, honest to God, like I was going to daycares. You know what I mean? It, it was, it's just crazy. It's it's absolutely crazy, you know? And then you have guys in the OHL. I played with guys in the OHL that had, that went to four different schools in one year. They would start somewhere. They'd get, they'd get put on waivers. They'd get picked up by Oshawa. And then they would get let go again, and they're put on waivers. Now they're going out to the WHL because if you clear waivers in the O, you can get picked up in one of the other leagues. It's just, it's just crazy. So, I mean, yeah. you asked me the question. Like, yeah, I, 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 would, I would go back, and I would just want to know what normalcy feels like, you know, like structure. Four years at home, five years at home through high school, you know, hanging out with friends on the weekends, you know, maybe playing a little rec sport on the side. Like, I don't know. Yep. Sorry for that. You're a great, no. you're a great shrink though, Riff. Sure. See you tomorrow, buddy. Look forward to chatting with Glenn Healy. Was there more you wanted to add on that? No, no. There's another topic, but I'm going to save it. Tell me uh, what it is. I, it's, it's, I don't want to discuss it today. Um, because I think there's a much bigger, 
discussion on it. But um, all the all the Canadian teams, all the Canadian teams are uh, are not flying from Canada into their destinations. You know, Calgary's not flying to Dallas, Toronto. Uh, Maple Leafs are not flying straight down to uh, Florida. You know, Edmonton is not flying, you know, to LA. They are busing across the border, getting on the other side in the States and then taking a flight. And the reason for this is if you are flying from Canada to the United States, you need a COVID test. 24 hours before you fly. Now, what team in in the league? Now, here's the thing. If you drive across the border, you don't need a COVID test. It's so amazing. If you fly across the border, (laughs) you need a COVID test. Now, what team in the league, what team in the league is going to take a chance of testing your players and one of those guys having COVID? What's even more probably amazing not, probably is no that symptoms. it's a charter flight, which is like the same as a car. Yes. <laughs> like you're not getting on a plane with a bunch of other people. You're getting on all getting on a plane with all the same people all the same that people. are sur- you're surrounded that by around every for- single day. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And now, you know, you just it, it's like these players talking about, you know, you know, Jason Spezza was asked, you know you know, what are your, what are your thoughts on, on doing this? And he says, I get on the bus when they tell me to get on the bus. And when I get on the plane or when I get on a plane, I get on the plane when they tell me I'm just, that's, that's my job is just to do what they tell me to do. And that's, what's best. But I just find it, I find it absolutely incredible that you can drive across the border with no test, but you can't fly across the border with, with, with a test. It's just, I mean, holy jumping. Let's, uh, let's figure this out, people. But, we got to uh, figure it out. We got to figure it out. Great yeah. chatting with you. That's a conversation. You know, you know who we can't have that conversation with? Who? Oh, or maybe we can. Why? Oh. JR. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he's going to fly off the handle, but, oh, you know, my listen, God, I mean, he's going to lose his shit. There's a lot of there's a lot of things right now that are still uh, still kind of mind boggling that uh, you're you're, you know, scratching your head. And uh, but uh, listen, I mean. That's, that's life, it. man. It's life. Yeah. The world we live in. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. That's a wrap on another episode of After the Whistle. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, After the Whistle, and at Craig Revee 52 at the Instigator76. And you can find us, as you already know, on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, and anywhere else where you can get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to spread the word.